Welcome everyone to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Million.js, which is the virtual DOM replacement for React. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. What's up, everyone? My name is James Hugh Quick, and I am a developer, speaker, and teacher, and today the solo host of the podcast, as Amy and Brad are both traveling. But we have a super exciting guest and Aiden Bai on the show to talk about creating and why and the benefits and all the things behind Million.js. So anyway, Aiden, welcome to the channel. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your background? Sure. So happy to be here. Um, hi, I'm Aiden. I work on Million.js. I really like performance internals of React and JavaScript. And yeah, I'm going to the University of Washington, and I really like Capybaras. Sweet. Love it. Did you know you wanted to go to UW? Is that like, is that something you knew for several years? Just kind of worked out that way? Oh, uh, no. I kind of like grape shot a bunch of colleges, and UW happened to be like, the cheapest for the best result, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. That's cool. I was, I got it. I went to Vanderbilt in Nashville, which is close by, which is very expensive. And I got in, but I didn't know that I would be able to go like to afford it. And they meet all of financial, like displayed financial needs. So I actually had everything covered and got to go basically for free. I actually got a little money back. So it worked out really well for me. Amazing. But it was definitely a, the money has to be there to make it work type thing. So yeah. Anyway, there's a comment in the chat saying React can be fast, question mark, which is totally on par, I think, with what we'll talk about. Do you want to tell me like a little bit about your background? So you're in your first year of uh, mm-hmm. computer science degree. Um, what was your background coming into it? Like, How did you even get into the React ecosystem to realize there was a gap of like, hey, we could do this better, differently? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, this all started... Because of my grandma. My grandma has a 2015 iPad. It's like a really, really old, crusty iPad. And if you know anything about old iPads or devices, they just can't load modern websites. Like when I send her a TikTok or a YouTube video, it's just, you know, takes 20, 30 seconds to load and the interaction performance is even worse. And so I was like, okay, if the status quo of websites, like the modern day websites can't load in my grandma's device, who's to say it's going to load in millions of people around the world. Like if the median device is a hundred dollar Android, who's to say these websites will actually, you know, you know, perform and like perform well. And when performance is a hindrance to load and interaction time, it's also a hindrance to accessibility. Essentially, as devices become better, there's going to be a disparity between devices. So like basically like people who are rich have faster access, people who are poor will not. So like, okay, I was like, what if I tried to solve this issue? And I, frankly, I haven't solved it yet, but um, <laughs> this is my approach to this. Um, basically, what if we, we created tools for developers that were so intuitive that they could not resist using it and it resulted in performance increases? And so like with Million.js, what I'm trying to do is what if we could build a React alternative that just dropped it into React? You don't have to think about it and it improves the performance. And right now, on benchmarks, it's around 70%. That's wild. That's I love the phrasing of like, it's so easy to do that you don't have to think about it. Because I think 
you you mentioned accessibility like accessibility like performance like other optimizations or like requirements it's so easy for people to say no if the onboarding experience is the least bit difficult right you almost like give them an out if it takes any amount of effort and that's why like from an accessibility perspective so many of the frameworks now like come with accessibility linting rules and they have like callouts for you to like hey like you can't ignore me i'm right here you have to do this thing to just i guess it doesn't necessarily fix it for you but at least calls it out it makes it really obvious in your case it's even easier with like dropping in million with react i'm curious maybe like before getting into that mm-hmm. how much experience did you have with react specifically the idea of like going as deep as you must have had to go into react seems like very intimidating so how much experience would you say you had with react um leading into being able to make a decision to build an alternative yeah, I, I had zero. Um, I actually had no no experience with any frameworks at all. And so basically what I did was I looked at React internals and rebuilt React. So I have like my own React version, every single hook, every single virtual DOM thing. And so obviously it took a long time. It took like a year to like figure it all out. But I basically learned React backwards. I learned mm-hmm. React by building it essentially. Yeah, I've thought about doing something much much smaller for a youtube video just to kind of show how like two-way binding works like the things that you would have to Mm do in vanilla javascript this is what react is doing for you because i think like having that understanding which is exactly what you just went through gives you an appreciation of what the frameworks are doing for you that you don't have to do after you're taking advantage of the framework yeah for sure i mean obviously it's not for everyone but having like this sort of approach allows you to like, you understand like why the framework does certain things and like why certain patterns work. Like, okay, why does, why does memo, I mean, memo is probably an easy example, but like, uh, why does memo work? Why does use effect call at this time? Or like, why does my render performance is slow? Those types of things. Yep, absolutely. What you've done is probably well beyond what most people would do, but I think the idea of like the reverse engineering building yourself is an absolutely like, amazing way to learn and really internalize. I think we kind of talked a little bit about college beforehand. Like I treated college like school and I got good grades, but I didn't internalize the things that I should have learned. And I really struggled with that early in my career because I didn't have like a solid foundation of, of understanding. I just had a GPA and that doesn't really do very much after you actually start writing real code after for me after college, maybe thinking about like the performance of react leading into million JS what was the big what was the big thing with react that you said like we could really optimize this and we can make something that's much more performant yeah um my initial approach was like what if we could make rendering faster i mean we have alternative frameworks that try to advertise this right like svelte solid view literally every framework now um, <laughs> but basically like having your component run and put stuff on the page or update the page faster that was my initial like approach. I wanted to figure out like how I did it. And so that's how I got really into virtual DOM and like optimizing it and making it really, really fast. Yeah, I love that. Do I know the high the highest level of <laughs> idea around the virtual DOM? Do you want to give people like an explanation of just from a React perspective what the virtual DOM is and how that works? Yeah, so basically. React works like this. Imagine the bottom level is the DOM with the document object model. That's the stuff you can use to change the stuff on the web page. Then on top of that, you have the virtual DOM, which basically 
is like the bridge between React and the DOM. Then you have React on top of it, right? So when a component, let's say a counter component runs in React land, it actually returns that JSX you have. So like literally you run it, the hooks run, the whatever use effects run, and then the JSX could be a div with the button or something returns. That JSX is put into the virtual DOM. Essentially, um, the JSX represents like, it's like a virtual representation of what you have on your page. So like it could be a div and a button. And then you have the previous, you have like a saved previous version of that UI. It could be a div with a button with an ID or something. And so when this, the virtual DOM essentially compares those two versions and you can notice that maybe there's like a difference. Once there are differences is seen, it actually changes the direct, the, the DOM below it. And so this process is basically like you render the component, the virtual DOM reconciles it, figures out the differences and makes the changes to the DOM. Yeah, that makes sense. So the reconciliation process is the looking at previous representation of the DOM, of the virtual DOM, the new virtual represent or the new representation of the virtual DOM, comparing those, figuring out the changes. And I think you mentioned like updating from wherever the change is down. So if you have a bunch of nested components, for example, and yeah. three levels in, you have six levels, let's say, whatever, and three levels in something changes, that means the levels three, four, five, and six or whatever have to change to, to take in those new, or have to be updated to take in those new changes. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that can be quite expensive. The way it, it, it compares like the two versions is basically it literally does like a tree traversal. If you've done like, I don't know if you've done a CS class or, or like lead code, you know that like tree traversal can be slow. It's like O of N times number of levels of the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of the other frameworks. One is Svelte, which Sion in the chat is joking about Svelte now becoming React with, I forget what, uh, what oh, runes. Runes, it right? Just yeah. a lot like React hooks, et cetera. Do you know much about Svelte, like enough to explain the difference between like the rendering in Svelte and the performance benefits with Svelte versus React? Yeah, I don't know how the internals are necessarily implemented, but from I can speak to Svelte 4. Okay. Self-word essentially works, which is not the one with Apprens. I think, yeah. so basically it's like, it's basically what Million is doing. Kind of. So okay. they have like a create phase and update phase, which, which Million also does. It treats each, each component as like a block, which Million also does. It has like dirty checking in comparison of like props. So like imagine like auto automatic memo. It also has like find grained like updates almost so like it can like set a specific attribute if some data is changed million has this also so like it's very similar to how million is implemented Svelteflat is interesting because it's not yet i don't know how it exactly works but from my understanding it's similar to the solid implementation but with you know extra compiler magic syntax yeah someone commented in the chat being overwhelmed about the amount of different technologies in web dev I think that's totally fair. I think if people are learning, like you kind of have to prioritize, like learn one thing, don't worry about all the other things that people on Twitter and YouTube are talking about. It is fun to know that all these different options exist, but it is a very difficult challenge to overcome, figuring out where do you spend your time, how to stay up to date with everything, and then understanding the differences between your options, because that takes like some amount of time just to get a surface level understanding to then make a choice on where to go. Sure. It was cool to do like the tie-in with Svelte. 
I mean, I'm kind of curious maybe to re- relate more of that back as you go into million JS, but you kind of started with React. You looked at like here, I'm going to build this. You kind of look at like I could optimize this by doing X, Y, and Z. What are the optimizations that you are doing with million JS? Does the virtual DOM go away completely? Do you have a different way of handling reconcili- reconciliation of previous state of virtual DOM versus new state? What does all that look like in million JS to get the performance benefits that, that you've talked about? Yeah, so million JS is a reconciliation, it optimizes reconciliation, doesn't necessarily optimize rendering. So rendering is the is the process of running the component and returning the JSX. Reconciliation is updating the DOM based on that JSX. The virtual DOM is slow because because it needs to diff a bunch of stuff. And the way it diffs is essentially, it looks at every single node in your JSX or every single element in your JSX, and it checks with the old version. And so if your JSX gets bigger or you have a bunch of list elements, you know, their cost of reconciliation becomes higher. And so the way Million solves this is through something called the block virtual DOM. And so I didn't create this. This is something that a previous library experimented with. But essentially, what it does is it treats the virtual DOM not as something to compare against, but rather as a almost like a template. And so, if you, if you've ever like played with Mad Libs, like as a child in elementary yeah. school, we had like this Mad Lib test. So basically, like imagine like you have a Mad Lib, but you have a piece of paper. There's a bunch of words on it, and you have two versions of this. The virtual DOM compares every single word every single time for changes. What Million does it? It takes like your words and figures out what could change inside of this word list and creates like a mad lib. So every single time you reconcile, you just fill in those mad lib like slots. And then that's all you have to compare, just like whether the mad lib slot were changed. Okay. So is that the ability to be more targeted at where you update? Like instead of, we talked about like levels, like if you're at a level three, you have to go through the rest of the nested components, for example to do dom updates all right no we're talking reconciliation but you're are you saying like you're able to be more fine-grained into how you handle the reconciliation process by looking at specific things and knowing these are only the parts that i have to look at yeah exactly okay interesting and that is so from the svelte perspective svelte basically compiles down to like vanilla javascript that i think gives itself access to do similar stuff like from the updating perspective, just go and update a property in the DOM directly. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Million does the same, basically. So it does kind of like the Madlib thing too. It does all, like, I wouldn't say the compiles in raw JavaScript. Like, if you look at the, like, the playground, you can see it. But basically, yeah, like you said, it updates specific attributes. It doesn't need to scan every single, it just looks at the data and compares it. Million does the same thing. Like, if the data has changed, then update. Someone was asking, clarify, what is Madlib? So Madlib was something you do in like elementary or middle school. And they would have like, basically, they would ask you up front for give me two adjectives and two nouns. And then they would have like this little paragraph with open spots to use those adjectives and nouns. And then because you make up whatever ridiculous nouns and adjectives to start without knowing what the story is, it makes for this really interesting funny ideal ideally story is what the output of that is so again the correlation being you know you have the story you know the parts of the story that are not going to change you know the parts of the story that can change based on the input from the user then you can go and make those those updates directly exactly sweet that's so cool 
one of the things I've always wondered is what is the actual representation of the virtual Dom? So in my head, I kind of very naively thought at some point, like, okay, if you have a virtual Dom, you convert it to a string, you have a new version of the virtual Dom, you convert it to a string and compare. But I don't think that gives you like the fine grain, like this is the thing that changed to then go and make updates. So are these, are they just JavaScript objects and they're nested JavaScript objects like in a tree data structure? And so you like iterate through depth first or however, whatever algorithm you use and do that on both and you compare each item along the way. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you say. It's basically just like an object, the type, which could be like, like a div or a button has props, which are attributes, which are, could be an ID class, whatever, and children. Right. And so the children can compare even more nested virtual nodes and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then for like, the framework doesn't know what it doesn't know what specific not every component is going to have or dom element is going to have the same property so for a div you might have an id you might have a name you yeah. might have an on click handler etc so the, i'm assuming the way these are represented like represented like once we get down to comparing one component to another we're having to iterate through all the properties of that component and then compare that against the property of the other component so if you have one property here and it's not there, that's a mismatch. Vice versa is a mismatch. And then for our four individual properties, we might also have different values that are there as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Totally. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. So you're able to tie just finer grain reconciliation there. And you said this is built on, I forget what the name that you said, something like block DOM. Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Cool. What's the history of that? You said it was used for something else. What was that thing? Is anyone else using this? Or is this like, are you kind of the only one that's taking that thing and using it for something that people may use now? Yeah, I think so. Blockdown was really originally created by someone at Udo. It's like a pretty large open source company. They're using it for their OWL framework. Um, basically, it tries to be a virtual DOM and also have very fast performance at the same time. And it came out around. Uh, I think 2021, something like that. And so that was like a pretty interesting exploration. I actually found out through Ryan Cardiato, creator of Solid.js. Like his streams are great if you haven't seen yeah. them. Also this one. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just figuring, seeing that. So a year later, I was like, I was building like my own virtual DOM and it wasn't very successful, it wasn't very fast. And so I was like, what if I try this approach? And so I spent around three, four months just experimenting around with like rebuilding my own version. And then that there, there's million. <laughs> okay, cool. What are, I would imagine that there are, to be able to do what you do, are there limitations of things that you might do with React that you couldn't then do with million? And, and, Assuming that if there are those things, those are the things that are worth sacrificing for the performance benefit. Yeah, I mean, um, if you think about it conceptually, like if you have like a Madlib structure, um, it's really good for like updating values, right? If you have a very stable-ish structure with a div and an ID and only the ID changes every second or so, that's going to be really, really fast because just update the value. But what if you have two different structures. Like, let's say you have a div and you change to like a crazy like image, whatever, right? So when that happens, you're creating two Mad Libs. You're creating two Mad Libs. And those are expensive, right? They're not like, I mean, 
relatively expensive to like creating like a sheet of paper with words on it. And so it's like you, you basically de-optimize. Like you, you, you can't compare two Mad Libs together. So what happens is just replaces the entire tree. Mm-hmm. With the normal virtual DOM, you, you'll be able to like notice with like all these words, when you do the whole comparison, you can see like, oh no, this div is different from the image. Then we, you know, make that change, only that specific change. And so basically the block virtual DOM is slow when structures aren't state or the structures inside the tree aren't stable, yeah. but it is really fast when they are. Okay. And what is like, if I'm writing code, what is that? What does that look like for me to keep in mind or to avoid so that I continue to get those benefits? Uh, yeah, for million, you don't have to think about it at all. So we have automatic mode, which tries to make all those decision making for you, right? So like evaluates the trade-offs, it tests it real quick, the static analysis to make sure like, okay, we're not hallucinating, like this, this makes sense, optimize, and then it goes ahead with it and makes sense. And this is the way this works, like for someone to use this is they have a React application and they're just adding on million. It's not like you start with million from scratch. Yeah, exactly. The integration process is really easy. You just, I mean, it's literally NPX space million. And then you're like, you're up and running with any React application. Nice. And I saw, I was looking at your Twitter. So going back to you talking about how that process works. So on your Twitter, I think one of your pinned tweets, which has almost a million impressions, which is wild. It's just a video of, I think, running that same command. And then it just shows, it lists out the component in a really nice, like animated with color way. It looks really good. And it shows like performance benefit or like percentage performance benefit or whatever for each component. So you've got your React application, you run that command. Can you talk a little bit more about how that static analysis works? Like that's that's kind of mind-blowing to me of being able to not just see that there's performance benefit, but like statically being able to analyze it and specifically understand which pieces of this thing we're going to be able to optimize more than others to be able to get that number. So how does what does that static analysis look like? Yeah, um, at its core, it's just a Babel plugin that looks at like the abstract index tree, basically like the, the tree that forms your JavaScript code. Um, and so it's mostly just about like, so what we do is we go to a component. If we see it's a component, it returns JSX. We say, okay, this is a component. Then we go straight to the JSX and we see like how many elements are there compared to expressions, conditionals, whatever. Like basically like, it evaluates the dynamism to the staticism. Um, <laughs> if there's more staticism, then it means it's good, op- good to optimize. And so it'll calculate like a figure, like 40%, 30% of how much static is there to dynamic. And it presents that as a speed boost. Obviously, like in practice, it's like not necessarily you'll, you'll see, even notice it, but like that is what it tries to do. Cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think you've just now coined the term staticism versus dynamicism, which is pretty awesome. Does that mean like if I, you kind of mentioned the idea of the block DOM not being as performant as it could be if you're completely switching types of elements, for example. So if I have a lot of React that has a lot of conditionals, maybe based on authenticated state, like some sort of authentication state, and I'm saying if authenticated, show this, if not, show something else. Are those those the types of big changes that maybe you're still more performant, but less performance gains than if it was less dynamic. Is that fair? Yeah. So what happens there is we either, if it doesn't, if it really doesn't make sense, then we just say like React takeover. So like you could have a parent mm. component that's rendered in a block 
And then you can have a child component that's written React and a child inside that render a million. So like mm-hmm. basically like it will defer the minimal amount of code that it needs you to, to react if, it, if it's more performant that way. But it does have some conditional support. Like if you have like a ternary or biconditional statement is loading null and then something mm-hmm. else, basically it can optimize that. It just like splits it into two branches essentially. Okay, very cool. Circling back from a question in the chat, you initially kind of talked about performance on low devices. And I, I meant to call this out of like, that's the perfect use case of yeah. why people care because that with accessibility, it's one of those things where when I don't have any accessibility limitations or requirements and I don't know anyone directly that does, it's super easy for me, just people in general, to ignore it because they don't see the impact. Exactly. And so you were able to see the impact with your grandmother of like, this is a very poor experience. I want to help change that. Mm-hmm. So the question is kind of bringing this back to a uh, primary use case of this is because this is going to be so much faster. I, and I don't know if there's like memory implications of that as well or just mm-hmm. processing, but it's going to make it faster to load on those devices. Is there memory and or like how many, how many execution cycles yeah. or something like how many cycles you have to run through to do the same amount of calculation? Yeah, so I think someone, uh, one of the team members just posted like a in-depth like memory analysis of this. It should be, it's around 28% higher for React. No, wait, sorry. Yeah. Around 303% higher memory usage for React compared to okay. Million uh, on, okay. on a benchmark. So not necessarily affects real performance, but and it's around 70% in terms of actual, like putting, painting the page really, really fast on a benchmark. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's always really interesting to me as well. You would think that, you know, if we could load a site five years ago on that iPad, and I have this question all the time and it drives me crazy. If we could load that site five years ago on the iPad, why are we not able to load the same site or seemingly the same site on that same iPad five years later? But a yeah. lot of the reality is we're just continuing to ship more JavaScript for the things that we do. Or we adopt frameworks that have trade-offs that some of the things, some of the way they handle things are slower, which means even though even though it kind of looks like the same website, what goes on behind the scenes is taking up more resources on a device that has less resources than it used to, and you're able to actually see that effect yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, like over the past 10 years, we've doubled the amount of jobs we should. I believe it's like 10. I don't know how to figure, but like it's doubled. And so <laughs> a million doesn't necessarily solve that. I think it could eventually, but like bundle size is not like a di- necessarily like a difficult issue to solve. I think as long as you do code splitting correctly, you implement solutions, maybe like party town, third party scripts, you can optimize like, op- like e-commerce sites have done this. Like you can optimize the JavaScript to pretty, pretty low. And like, don't use Next.js, maybe use, use Astro or something. Uh, <laughs> but like, which, quick plug, check out James's Astro course yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, just like choose better tools for that. But like rendering speed has is a pretty unexplored issue, especially like if you're able to provide rendering speeds to users at a very, very low migration cost. Mm-hmm. Like this is like why people are really pensive about switching to, to like Svelte or Solid. I mean, people switch to sell not, I don't think because of performance, more so it's like a great author experience. But like SolidJS, it's like hard to switch because, you know, it's just completely different. It's, you have to change your entire workflow for 
maybe a performance gain you might never see. Yeah, it's funny. I actually had this argument, uh, argument, maybe debate. I don't know, like specifically around that exact same point of I use felt not because of performance, because I tried it and I love the stuff that it has built in and I love the syntax. In theory, the performance is there, but I've never done benchmarks on anything to like really gauge what's the huge difference if I were to build something in React versus Felt. And then also what's the impact of that? Because you don't care about performance in my mind until you actually see like there's an impact. And now we need to make some. I mean, you can try as much as you can beforehand, but to a certain point, you kind of have to see the pain point to then be able to address it. And people were saying a bunch of details about like what Svelte does and how it optimizes. And in some, yeah. in a lot of ways, I'm like, I don't care yet. But I think the really cool thing that you're able to do is to address that in a way that doesn't take people out of their normal, I'm already in React. Now I can drop this in and get performance benefits and not have to still not care. I just know I have better performance because it's there. Oh, no, no. I, I strongly agree with you on that. Like, I don't think people switch over because of performance or because of security. Maybe for like there are cases, but like most of the time it's author experience. Like the authoring experience is just radically better or radically simpler or radically different that it like, you know, people are like, will rally behind and say, this is really good. Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely, definitely my take. I think we haven't maybe answered the most obvious question, which is why the name million JS, where did that come from? Yeah, so I I mean it was available on NPM. It was like super very memorable name. But also it was like intention was like, okay, what if we can make React like a million times faster? It isn't. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just like it was nice. Later I noticed that like million could be split into like two words. So you split down like M I L split lion. So the math, like the logo is actually a snout of like a, a lion. If you look at Oh, it. I don't think I picked up on that. Oh, that's hilarious. That's so cool. <laughs> There's a really interesting question on Twitch from Scion. Scion has spent a lot of time talking about Svelte. I love the question of like, do you think mm-hmm. about doing something like this for another framework? And maybe the more general question is, can you see, as we have this overwhelming amount of frameworks, which is exciting, but also overwhelming, can you see yeah. more potential tools going the route you've done of like, I'm going to leave React as it is, as the core, but I'm going to drop in on top of it and make some changes and give benefits, et cetera. Can you see either yourself doing more of those kind of drop-in packages to augment what a framework does or other people kind of following what you've done to add additional features, benefits, et cetera, to not just React, but frameworks in general? I think it's unlikely. I mean, there's a reason not many people have done this. I mean, React has done this, Inferno has, but like you have to be crazy to work, try to like fight React. <laughs> React makes it very difficult to have like almost drop on replacements or integrations or like just like basic stuff at all. Um, I mean, like there's a package called It's Fine, which literally just hacks React internals in order to provide like, if you're like get the element for a component. <laughs> Like, obviously, you can use ref, but, like, what if you, like, don't want to use ref for that case? And so React is hard to fight against, and it's very unlikely that there are more, but I think this direction is a correct direction. I mean, we, we should see this in more dev tools, right? Like, the philosophy mm-hmm. of, like, I want immediate benefits and performance, security, ease of use, whatever, but in my existing workflow, like, developers don't want to change how they work. They just want 
benefits without any like costs. Yeah. And just layering on the fact that we seem to have like new frameworks pop up every month. Right. And I'm in a privileged yeah. position of it's a benefit and it's a blessing and a curse of like, I don't write production level software every day. I do content and I kind of follow the latest trends, which means I get to follow things as they come out. But it also means I'm not as deep technically because I'm just not writing like bigger production level code every day. But most yeah. people don't have the ability to follow as these new frameworks come out, right? To adopt a whole new framework because companies code at companies moves much slower than what you see on Twitter. Like the reality is what the code that you write in a job is probably much different than what you see content creators like myself talk about. And so I can see the idea of like, all right, we've been investing 10 years. Is React 10 years at this point? I think it's close. Anyway, we've been investing years into React. We can keep that and we can layer something on top of it. I think it's definitely a really interesting strategy. And I would love to see more of those types of tools. I think that'd be a really fun augmentation to like the ecosystem that we're in now. Yeah, for sure. You know, with the like, with new tools like like Unplugin or whatever, you can like it's really cool to be able to like distribute to almost any framework nowadays. Like just with one package we we use, it just like it works in Astro, XJS, whatever. Yeah. Super cool. On your homepage, it looks amazing. This is like one of my biggest struggles. I think one of a lot of people's struggles is like, I don't feel like I'm good at doing that sort of thing. I try to change the way I talk about myself to just be like, I haven't intentionally practiced a whole lot. So like, it's just lack of experience. Did you build a landing page yourself? It looks great. Do you have like any design background? Like, how'd you come up with that? Yeah, actually, uh, I have a friend who made like a webpage for a hackathon. I was like, okay, I'm stealing this template. This is mine now. So like, like to be completely like transparent, the base styles are, are all from that website. Um, but in terms of like the, the styling or whatever, like it's not that difficult. I think Talon makes it really easy and accessible to create like web page. Like I suck at CSS, right? Like being able to manage a lot of context in my head is just very difficult. And Talon just makes it really easy to do that. So I'm not good at CSS. I'm not good at design. I just take a lot of time. I just like I spent hours just like tinkering with styles, and that's why to make it like look as good as possible. I mean, it's always still not very good, but like, I mean, I think it just takes time. I think styling and design is just a matter of time and just looking at other pages for reference. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good way to put it. I think that's something that we also fail to appreciate with situations like this is that it does take time, especially when you're not the most experienced in that sort of thing. And I like a lot of times I'm doing something smallish for a YouTube demo. And it's not the kind of thing that I'm going to spend 40 hours going into the really small details for the demo because it's not worth that amount of time. So I don't have the experience of really like sticking with one thing over the course of a long time and making these minor adjustments and doing these tweaks and like really honing in on those details. Someone called out that this is running on Vercel, typically this type of thing is like Vercel or Netlify is usually the easy answer. Any particular reason why you went with Vercel? Yeah, I was a Netlify user for a lot of years. Honestly, like it doesn't really matter. Uh, Vercel just happened to have like a like a sponsor plan and they had like analytics and stuff. I was like, okay, if it's free, I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really care what I deployed to. I used to deploy Netlify, Netlify, Netlify a lot. 
Um, yep. But once I got free stuff, I just switched over to Vercel and had everything out there. Cool. Love it. Thinking about like, I feel like this has become really quickly what I would consider very successful from awareness, definitely on my end on Twitter. I've seen like, I first really like I had seen this on Twitter. I heard your interview on the syntax podcast. I know you've been on several other podcasts. I'm sure you've got lots of requests. Two things from a marketing perspective. Did you really, did you do anything intentional to try to raise awareness to this? Is it something that just kind of caught on? And the second thing is like, what is the, what's kind of the current state of usage and adoption? So first would be kind of the marketing aspect of it, of, of what all did you put into trying to share this and, and how? Yeah, uh, I just do informational content or just like what I'm building. I think I don't have any, other than like the really like over the top, like you like videos, like marketing videos that I post on Twitter. Like I pretty much just have like, like just demos, just post like, okay, I'm building this thing. Check this out. Here's a video what I'm building. Or like I've read an article on like how I built this thing, why it's important. Or like, for example, I wrote an article on like the blog for Kalam and like how it works specifically. And so I don't have like very intentional marketing strategies. I just say what I build. Right? I just be yeah, authentic. Like, like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Exactly. In terms of usage, I think we have around 10,000 uh, installs per week. Although I don't know if it reflects actual usage, we do have like analytics on who uses our CLI. It's around, it's around a, a hundred to two hundred a day. I think some people like run and like whatever integration, and then they're like, okay, it works. Um, <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's that's how it should be. Right? Like hopefully, it's around thirteen K stars. I don't know how many impressions anymore. I don't track impressions, no. but yeah, just like. There's a there's definitely a community of a like pretty large community now around two thousand members in our Discord. So just like a bunch of people are using Million, it's cool to see it. Some companies using Million as well. Um, yeah. Wise is using Million. MetaMask is in the process of integrating Million. And so there's a lot of people using it. It's a little bit stressful, but it's also really cool to see people being able to have faster rec websites. Absolutely, that's so cool. I also saw like the you've got the scrolling logos open sourced. So the creator of open source is a friend of mine, Brian Douglas. Also a couple of my good friends work on that team now with him. Super cool to see that name on there as well. Speaking about teams, one of our last questions as we kind of get close to wrapping up, how big is the team? So you are, you're the creator. I assume you're like the main maintainer. This is open source. I think are other people contributing to it. Like who all is involved from a full-time perspective probably not full because you wouldn't i don't would you consider yeah. yourself full-time yeah. being a student as well so anyway like what are the details of like who all is involved and who's who's helping manage all that stuff yeah uh so i, I i'm mainly like doing engineering marketing just everything basically i do have some some train like part-time team members that just like help out toby loba on twitter he's from nigeria helps out with like devrel ricardo who helps out with like also DevRel. Mostly like we have people doing DevRel. just like being doing like marketing sort of things. Uh, yeah. We have a couple like transient contributors that help out sometimes. They've been also really helpful, but yeah, mostly I'm working on the project. Um, so like half the time I don't go to lectures. So <laughs> I, I do, I skip classes to work on this. So it's, it's effectively full time, I think. Uh, so one of my favorite stories one of my most proud moments in college is my senior year 
I did not go to a particular class one time, not even the first time. And I got an A in that class. And I, I love telling that story. And I imagine we kind of talked about this beforehand. Like if you've done the things that you've done, sure, there are things that you can learn in class, but especially early on in your classes yeah. where you're doing like a CS 101 thing, that stuff has got to be pretty easy for you. So I imagine it's easy to kind of step away and, and do stuff that's a lot more intense. Do people, do your professors know, are they aware enough at all to know that you built this? Like, because I think most professors are not, are often not tied into the community. They're not tied into the latest and greatest. They're not spending time on Twitter, for example. Do they have any idea that you've like built this really incredible thing? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't expect them to, to be fair. Um, yeah. Like my CS professor is using like JGrasp, which is like, I don't even know. That's probably oh, made before I was running. <laughs> was like, I don't even know like what software that is. So I mean, it's, yeah, obviously I don't expect them to know. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I've So I've done a lot of teaching in different capacities and I would really love to teach on a university campus to bring a fresh perspective to what tech is, to what programming is, to what like a career in NCS can be because it's so slow. And I've worked, like I went through my CS curriculum. I've worked in education in, in high school and universities. It's just so slow. And those people who are teaching are often disconnected from what the industry is kind of changing to as it's changing. They're just behind. And so I love the idea for me, potentially, this would be really cool for you to do something like this too. Like for you to teach a class, like I think you totally could of like mm -hmm. modern tooling or something like that, that I think would be a lot more, a lot more exciting for people. And I don't know, give them something more to look forward to than just a maze solver was the coolest thing I did in college. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. Like French students have to learn. There's like something called Huffman encoding. I have no idea what that is, but like totally agree. I think, you know, the CS classes, the content that we learn is, Generally, it could be useful in terms of like how you think, how you like learn about things. But other than that, it's just not really useful in the, in the industry. Yep, absolutely. Um, Scion commented or asked, is it time to reform academic content? Yes. And that's just not an easy thing to do. Like definitive yes, but it's just it's hard for a lot of different reasons. I want to wrap up. I have a ton more questions. This has been super fun. I've really enjoyed it. Maybe one more question before we get into picks and plugs is just what do you have like a next thing are there other things that you're interested in excited about is there, do you have an idea for something you want to build are you just kind of continuing to work on this nothing no immediate plans just what's on what's on your mind for the future yeah i'm building a company around performance not around million specifically but like how the, the philosophy of like building tools that are intuitive like basically intuitive to integrate and give immediate performance benefits so there's this thing called GitRound by Osis Capital, which is like a open source VC firm that has like it's basically like a like an open source accelerator. So I get to build interesting things, hopefully share some interesting products that the companies or people can use. That's so cool. I love that. I think that's like that seems like for such a perfect transition. And I'm sure you get people saying this type of stuff all the time, like just how impressive it is yeah. that you're so young. I'll layer onto that, like super super impressive, but. I think that I love that you have the perspective already at that age of knowing that you have the ability to build something and kind of control. Like I think a lot of people in college, especially they, whoever recruits on campus, those are the companies that they go and work for. And they just yeah. don't know that they 
not that I'm saying everyone should work for themselves or build their own thing, but like they just don't know that's a possibility because they haven't seen it done. So I think that's super cool to call out for you of just like looking at a situation as a developer and then saying like, I could do something better or different. And that's super empowering as you go through like the rest of your journey and career. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, Starting, I mean, like, open source is great. It's awesome. I think fundamentally, I million will remain open source. You'll stay open source, but it's just like a lot of, you know, more meaningful things you can build or like experiences you can get can't be done purely through open source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And there, there's the whole like growing a business aspect of it too. We kind of talked about this in my yeah, Discord yeah. this morning. Like, it's totally different when you kind of run your own company because it's more than just the tech side. It's learning about everything so anyway super super cool stuff i'm really glad that you joined i really love this conversation we can move into the last section which is our picks and plugs section so a pick is something that you used recently that you enjoyed a plug is going to be anything that you want to plug for yourself or another community member and just to tie this in to to the chat i will ask you the million dollar question pun intended what is your (laughs) uh, pick and plug for today so I was looking at Twitter and there's this project that was co-created by the creator of Netflix called Kiesper, Dev. It's really interesting to me because it's something I also want to build through my company or through Million. So basically, if I want to understand, it's, I mean, their tagline is we're building a suite of open source tools that help you visualize potential performance issues, detect regressions, decode compiler measurements. It's essentially like a Swiss army knife for solving performance issues. So this is like super interesting to me. Sweet. And I just threw the link in the chat if anybody is interested in checking that out as well. So is that your is that your pick? Do you have a plug also something? Or was that the plug? Oh yeah, just check out million.dev if you want to. <laughs> it's get started with NPX based million. Yeah. I also really chuckled when you talked about like statistics from the CLI of like it's basically they ran the command and there's like nothing else they need to do because of like yeah. that's how the experience is supposed to be. <laughs> uh, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Love it. For me, I will I'm going to go back a little bit. I don't know if I'll have a link because I'm trying to get to it so I'll kind of scroll while I am talking but one with what are you not devices what are they called like what is a blender called in your kitchen like not utilities. Clients. Oh my gosh. Appliances, thank you. Like <laughs> uh, appliances in your kitchen, they often like you. You put them in a shelf or whatever, and then your cord just like drags or hangs down, and you just throw the cord like in the shelf or whatever. So Gooseman said, "Doodads." Let's do. Let's do, go with that one. So I found this thing that is. I, f- I found it. It's a, a sticks on cord organizer, so you can like stick it onto the back of any appliance, and it has like little flaps that you can just wrap the cord around. So as you like, you finish with it, you unplug it, you wrap the cord around. You put it into into your shelf or pantry or wherever, and you don't have to worry about the cord like dangling everywhere. Especially as you like bring it back out, it's not going to hang down. So this is super simple. These organizers, I got a six pack for ten dollars. It's like it's not super fancy, but it does exactly something that's super useful for you when you're bringing stuff in and out of your pantry. So I got a link there for people that are interested. Pretty cheap, pretty easy to set up, and pretty useful. So. Gooseman said, saw a YouTube channel talking about this thing as the thing he likes to use. Yeah, there. It's to me like very undeniable that this is useful and everyone should have them. So the other thing I want to get, I haven't done this yet, is they have 
like little stick on balls. So if you like, like for us on our kitchen counters, our cabinets come down and we like put the coffee maker underneath the cabinets and then we have to pull it out to get the water reservoir thing out to fill that back up. So they have these little stick on little balls so you can roll it out and not have to like drag it on your on your counter. Anyway, so that's another little like interesting gadget that I want for my kitchen. And then for my plug, you gave it a shout out earlier. So thank you. My Astro course is out at astrocourse.dev. Had a ton of fun working on that over the course of several months and have gotten really good feedback. Had ha, have had really good enrollment numbers, which has made me really excited and like optimistic for creating more and more course content in the future. But if you want to learn about Astro 3 and its full stack capabilities, not just like static site generation, but also server-side rendering and other things that are really cool, uh, you can check it out at astrocourse.dev. So, Aiden, thank you for being here. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, everyone, for listening in, watching in on uh, YouTube and Twitch. If you're listening in a podcast after the fact, leave us a rating and review to help us do more of these episodes and have on additional amazing guests like Aiden. But thank thank you, everyone, uh, for being here. Thank you for being here. And uh, we'll catch you all next time.